All right, welcome folks, week eight, um, both in Geelong and uh, our off-campus students, and we're looking at Italy. We've travelled south, southwards, and we're now looking at the peninsula, sometimes described as the boot-shaped country, in which Sicily is the toe, toe of the boot. Now, Italy is now one of the three most populous member nations of the EU since Britain left. Over 50 million people. The character played by Orson Welles, the character's name was Harry Lyme, he wasn't a very nice character, uh, in the film The Third Man, made perhaps the most famous contention ever in comparative European politics when he said that uh, in Italy... For 30 years under the Borgias, they had warfare, terror, murder and bloodshed, but they produced Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci and the Renaissance. In Switzerland, they had brotherly love, 500 years of democracy and peace, and what did that produce? <clears throat> the cuckoo clock. Uh, pretty contemptuous, isn't it? Um, I don't agree with it. I mean, I, I think it's... It's true about the glories of the Italian art production, but the reasons for it, I think, are wrong. The assumptions there. And as a matter of fact, I only discovered this when I went to Zurich a few years ago with my family. Cuckoo clocks weren't actually invented in Switzerland. They were invented in the Black Forest region of Germany. So it's wrong on a couple of counts. But also, to the extent that Leonardo da Vinci, for example, and other great artists flourished, it wasn't because there was chaos around them, it was because there was patronage of the arts by people like the, Med the Medicis in Florence and so on. So I find that, that quote colourful and provocative but not terribly accurate or explanatory. There is chaos in Italy and there is creative brilliance. There is gregariousness and demonstrative personalities of Italians. There are many glories of Italian history, including the Roman Empire and the Renaissance as manifested in the art and architectural beauty of city-states like Florence, as well as the central historic role of another city-state, Venice, in creating the first financial links between the world's west and its exotic east in the trade of silks and spices. But Italy's more recent history has been much more checkered and less proud, less honourable, including the fascism under Benito Mussolini in the 1930s, the harsh effects of mass emigration by Italians due to economic necessity since the 19th century, including a large number after the Second World War, including to New World countries, so-called, like Australia, which has had a very positive effect on the receiving countries in enriching our culture, but at the same time cruelly wrenched apart members of families, and has also long deprived Italy of its many of its native-born young people and their talents, not allowing them to grow up and to be expressed in and contribute to the country they left. Tony Ute writes how the only effective solution to the woes of Italy's southerners has been emigration. Fifteen million Italians left the country between 1870 and 1926, many for, for the United States, and others for Argentina, among other countries. Another 7 million left between 1945 and 1970. 
There was also huge migration within the country from the impoverished south to the wealthier north. And 9 million people between the mid-50s and the early 70s moved between regions of the country. So there's that, there's that instability of people movement and there's the other problem of governmental instability. Italy is renowned for changing its government every year or so, um, not always by election, but rather by rearranging the coalition in power. Italy has given the proportional representation electoral system a rather bad name. Whenever you raise the idea of proportional representation, it's scope say, oh my God, we don't want to be like Italy and change governments every year. Although other European countries have proportional representation but don't change governments every year. And of course, actually in Australia, we're changing prime ministers just about every year or so recently without proportional representation. So it's complex, but there has been instability and it's not unrelated to problems of corruption. Corruption to an extent unparalleled in any other major European country. And this is due to the strength and the power of organised crime. The notorious mafia. Notorious they are, despite their glamorisation in Hollywood films and, you know, movies like The Godfather, The Wise Guys, the cigar-smoking, glamorous individuals that some people perhaps... Uh, don't see enough of the negative side of. But Italy's certainly seen plenty of negative side and still, do, still does today, unfortunately. Um, then there's the, the strange story of the, the Italian Christian Democratic Party. We've seen in Germany how there's a Christian Democratic Party, or a uh, very similar name. The idea of a religious-oriented political party is not problematic in Germany. It would be in France. Uh, because France is secularism. But in Italy, the Christian Democratic Party does not have the status, the reputation of Angela Merkel's party and, and her predecessors who were leaders of the German Christian Democratic Party. It has had a notorious reputation of, well, I guess when we talk about politics, one famous political philosopher who happened to be Italian, whose name has entered the language, Machiavellian. Machiavelli was a philosopher who talked about the realism of politics and the term Machiavellian suggests scheming, conspiring, backroom deals uh, and so on and there's been a lot of Machiavellianism in the Christian Democratic Party particularly and a lot of support for it from America in the height of the Cold War and, and the underlying issue here appears to be that given the choice between an alliance with the mafia and an alliance with communists, Christian Democrats and American presidents and Secretary of State Kissinger in the 70s would, would, would work with the mafia, saw the communists as a bigger enemy. Even though the Italian Communist Party, the PCI, was not the same as the one-party dictatorship Communist Party in the Soviet Union, nor the one-party dictatorship uh, Communist Party in China. Soviet Union was from 1917, China from 1949, still going. The Italian Communist Party was a democratic organisation which participated in Italian elections and gained a very large support base. At its peak in the mid-70s, it had one, one in every three Italian voters. And it was because of that electoral strength that uh, anxieties were provoked uh, 
in the, in the global battle between communism and capitalism. And Italy was very much caught in this. Now, in terms of the mafia, John Dickey's book is an, is an outstanding book, um, Mafia Republic, Italy's Criminal Curse, very comprehensive book. I'm providing some key quotes from it. He's scathing about the fact there is no excuse for Italy to have this entrenched, organised crime. It's not a banana republic in South America. It's not an impoverished warlord nation in Asia or a remnant of a shattered empire in Eastern Europe. The boot-shaped peninsula is not located in an area of the world where one might expect to find the state's authority undermined by a violent and rapacious alternative power. Let's remind ourselves, there's Italy here. It's in Europe. It's in the EU. It's the, one of the three largest countries in the EU. Uh, and yet, organised crime has incredible power in this country. Far more so than any democratic country in Europe, other, or that I can think of. And the criminal organisations usurp the state's authority over large tracts of its own territory. The Mafia is the antithesis of ideas of freedom and democracy, and yet it survives. It has, however, declined somewhat in Italy. It's also declined significantly in America, despite the Godfather and so on. And nostalgia for the, uh, the wise guys of New York City and Chicago, Al Capone and the like. So, the Mafia is part of the story, and also part of the story is... After the Second World War, the transformation of Europe included the rise of support for communism in Italy, to a lesser extent in France, but electoral support. The Italian Communist Party had fought the Nazis in the resistance. Uh, you may know that Benito Mussolini, the fascist dictator of Italy, ended up being hung in a square in Milan by wire, by communist partisans. That's what they thought of him. Um, and Hitler, arguably that's one of the reasons Hitler committed suicide in his bunker, so he didn't end up the same humiliating fate. Um, after the Second World War, Italians who had you know, been conscripted to fight against the Allies, uh, conscripted for Mussolini and so on, many of them returned and joined the Communist Party in a rather similar way to how soldiers and their families after the Second World War in Britain turned towards the Labour Party, building a better world seeing this as a, as a time for a new world. And the Soviet Union had prestige in Europe because of its role in helping defeat the Nazis. In Italy, that uh, battle uh, lasted longer, electorally, than any other European country. And as uh, is here quoted, um, Dickey writes that for every church bell tower, and there were many throughout Italy, a Communist Party branch was arising. That didn't necessarily mean that people who joined the Communist Party renounced Catholicism. Quite a few believed in both, but they didn't believe in the, the right-wing political teachings of some Christians. So, the Christian Democrats became an important party, and as America started to look at the strategic battle around the world, Italy was a front line. One of the ironic things here is that the Communist Party was the most anti-mafia party in Italy. More anti-mafia than the Christian Democrats and more anti-mafia than the American backers of the Christian Democrats. Uh, 
um, they didn't tolerate them. They pointed out nepotism and favours being used by the incumbent Christian Democratic government. On the, on, on the other hand, elements of the Christian Democrats were, were close to the Mafia um, because they were convenient and because they were not communist. Now, the Mafia has several branches. Uh, Cosa Nostra is a Sicilian branch. Calabria, it's hard to pronounce this, so I don't always get this right. Rangetta, it was big, like the Sicilian Mafia. It formed tentacles into all parts of life in Calabria. And it was easier for local politicians to go with the power of the Mafia than confront it. In Sicily, there was more overt conflict. Calabria could be seen in the way that political parties in Australia see safe electorates. Uh, Calabria was a safe electorate for the Christian Democrats, despite being one of the poorest regions. Um, Sicily was a battleground. uh, And safe electorates can often be ignored by the parties who they are most safe for. Some, many complain that the safest Labor seats, for example, in outer western Sydney, uh, in Corio, in Geelong, and so on, actually don't get looked after because the party counts them, banks their support, and says, what, we've got them, but we've got to win the marginal seats, so we're going to go off and entice the swinging voters in Karangamite rather than the, the, uh, uh, the Ford factory workers in Corio, for example. This is just part of the electoral logic of power politics. And Dickie raises the fact that here again, as we saw in the case of Ireland, there are some similarities between Italy and Ireland, one being mass immigration, another being the strength of Catholicism, um, but also the American role. Now, one of the interesting things Dickie points out is that America moved against the Mafia before Italy did. America brought in some important laws, anti-racketeering laws and so on. Italy didn't do so. However, despite these problems, um, the Italian economy emerged by the mid-1950s with some achievements. Um, in the south, less so than in the north. The growth of the common market helped Italian exports reach new markets. And there were traditions of entrepreneurship and craft, said craftsmanship, it should be craftspersonship, I think, now. Uh, to draw on, factories in the north began churning out scooters, the Vespa scooters, cars like Fiat cars, tyres. There was something of an economic miracle despite, rather than because of, the unstable government and unsavoury connections. The most powerful uh, politician in Italy in the decades following the Second World War up until the 1980s was Giulio Andriotti, seven times Prime Minister, and a key operator in the Christian Democratic Party. There were hopes that the poverty of the South uh, could be lifted up by the industrialisation of the North, but it essentially has not happened. However, there were opportunities for bright young Italians to enter the magistracy, and this became an important avenue for young, intelligent people who wanted to do good things for their country to make a contribution. When we look at the 
effect of organised crime in southern Italy in the 1980s, here is a startling figure that there were, three, there were uh, twice as many victims of organised crime in southern Italy in the, in the decade of the 80s alone as there were victims of three decades of the Troubles in Northern Ireland. That's an astonishing figure, isn't it? The communists may have been anti-capitalist and anti-American foreign policy, but they wanted to learn from America's approach to fighting the Mafia. One of the things that brought all this to a head in Italy was the rise of Shorty Rina, the most notorious ever leader of the Sicilian Mafia. In the 1980s, he rose to power, seemed immune from prosecution, and he outdid his predecessors in brutality, murders, contempt for the law. And some uh, groups including uh, devout Catholics, were keen to counter the Mafia. Palermo, the capital of Sicily, was also the city in which Giovanni Falcone was born. He became an anti-Mafia magistrate and martyr for the anti-Mafia cause. And young people supported him and his colleagues strongly. Magistrates started cracking down on the Mafia, bringing them to trial and showing no fear. There is an illustration uh, in the readings and further resources on the Cloud Beacon website of a famous photograph of Giovanni Falcone and Paolo Borsellino taken in March 1992. The saddest thing about it is that a short time later they were both murdered on separate Mafia hits. The only way the Mafia could get Giovanni Falcone because of the amount of protection he had was when he flew to Sicily, they, they bombed, they, they placed bombs beneath a long stretch of motorway that blew up his motorcade. That's how elaborate it was, but they did it. But that actually was the high point of Mafia power in Italy, and the revulsion that caused um, helped crack down, and Borsellino and Falcone became uh, martyrs for the anti-Mafia cause. There is a higher-res, higher-size photo on cloud, but it was taking me too long to get into cloud at the start of the lecture to show up, but please look at it at your leisure. Those two together, Falcone on the left, Borsellino on the right, brave, fearless, uh, optimistic, prepared to risk their lives in a cause. And that photo is an icon, an iconic photo photograph and postcard for anyone who believes that Italy needs to be freed from the Mafia. It was taken by Tony Gentile. Now, The early 90s became therefore the high point of the Mafia's power, the lowest point of Italy politically, but things did turn up that and we'll see how a bit later. We go back a few steps and look at the, the rise of the Communist Party. In that sense, things came to a head in the mid-1970s. The 1976 general election, the Communist Party reached its higher of a percentage of the vote. So high that it seemed almost inevitable that it would be able to enter national government for the first time in some sort of coalition, perhaps a grand coalition with the Christian Democrats, with the more moderate, more honest, less corrupt elements of the Christian Democrats. That didn't happen, but it was close. Now, the Communist Party then went into decline. Um, like many left or centre parties since the mid-1970s and many trade unions, uh, change was happening and it was not coping very well. The so-called Socialist Party of Italy was a very pragmatic party. It didn't 
have a relationship with the Communist Party, you'd think they would be allies, but they weren't. Um, it was a much more mainstream and self-interested party without philosophical uh, substance. So, a new breed of business politician emerged. A, a careerist functionary, a state administrator, who was prepared to turn a blind eye to the fact that there were bribes going on for contracts, favours being dispensed and so on because of fear of the Mafia, discrediting and then murdering, in many cases, opponents. But Cosa Nostra has, has sunk since the arrest of Shorty Rena in Sicily in 1993 and after the murders of Falcone and Borsellino. But it's not gone for good. It still has a negative effect on Italy's economy. Um, even though it's murderous uh, ways, it, it's violent, stranglehold is much less than it was in the 1990s. This goes back into the fact that the Italian state had significant control of sections of the economy which encouraged favouritism if the culture was uh, disposed to favouritism. It encouraged family favours, nepotism. It encouraged industries to be associated with particular political parties and it encouraged newspapers and radio stations to be encouraged with particular political parties, sporting organisations, and so on. This was not rational economics. This was highly distorted. Uh, it's not textbook ca free market capitalism by any means. It's cronyism, and so on. Some people would say text market free market capitalism doesn't exist anywhere, but it certainly didn't exist in Italy, uh, and hasn't for if ever. Now... Both the Christian Democrats and the Socialist Party were implicated in this. Benito, or Bettino Craxi, was the leader of the Socialists, and he was as shady a character as Giulio Andriotti. Only the Communist Party can hold up its head morally from those years in terms of its consistent opposition to the Mafia. And these all contributed, this history contributed to the fact that Italy has been grouped... Um, in the derogatory acronym which first emerged in the 1990s and became particularly prominent around the, around the world in the time of the financial, global financial crisis in around 2009-2010. Portugal, Italy, Greece and Spain were called the pigs and sometimes a double I was added to include Ireland by those making that claim. Although as we saw when we looked at Ireland, Ireland had the advantage of a much... Uh, the Republic of Ireland had the advantage of a much stronger education system, less regional inequality than Italy had, but within the Republic of Ireland, and so on. The Italian private sector grew in manufacturing um, firms in the north, in small businesses, and some people, some people look at Italy's economic success to the extent it did occur in the north as being perhaps a, an advertisement for the fact that maybe governments don't matter so much. Given how many times government changed and yet there was prosperity in the north, does that mean the governments aren't that important? We can talk about that in the seminar. Lots of small businesses, um, positive uh, entrepreneurship um, clusters of small businesses. Family ties are not necessarily a bad thing in economics. Um, there can be favouritism dispensed, but on the other hand, there can be uh, cooperation. We know that many small businesses in Australia are run by families. Um, 
Italy extended families, um, not just immediate or nuclear families, are very important. Cousins are very important. Aunties and uncles are more important than they are in Anglo, Anglo type uh, cultures. Italy became Europe's largest manufacturer of refrigerators and other white goods, driving up from less than 20,000 to more than 5 million a year. Almost as many in absolute numbers as America, which is four or five times Italy's size and population, more than the rest of Europe put together. So Italy did carve out a niche with white goods. Also, in terms of leather goods, high quality fashionable clothing, and here, Tony, you has a bit of a crack at Germany. Uh, international demand for German clothing or food products was, by contrast, all but non-existent and deservedly so. Um, so, yes, you buy your clothes from Italy and you buy your food from Italy and France, but you buy your engineering products from Germany and so on. Um, a family-based grey economy, textiles, machine parts, many, many positive qualities to that, but also a lot of informality, which means that it was estimated in 1997 that the informal sector contributed at least one quarter of the country's gross domestic product. And if, if an economic sector is informal, it's less likely to be taxed and regulated. Then there's this big problem between the North and the South, the backwardness of Southern Italy. A long-term a long trend which seems intractable. In 1954, if the average Italian per capita income was 100, uh, in Piedmont, in the wealthy northwest, it was 174, in Calabria, it was 52. So half the national average, and Piedmont had triple Calabria's per capita income, as did other southern regions. Unemployment in southern Italy in the late 1990s was three times the level north of Florence. And the gap per capita GDP between north and south actually rose uh, between the 1950s and the late 1990s. This gave rise to a separatist political movement in the 1990s, the Northern League, uh, which basically argued, I suppose it's a bit like Brexit, you could say, um, they, wanted, they wanted to separate from the Italian Federation. Italy had been unified by Garibaldi um, in relatively recent history, in the long term. The old city-states and regions had come together. The Northern League said, we are, we are subsidising these lazy southerners, as they perceived it. There was a lot of racist element to their thinking. Um, and they pushed for their own self-interest. Why was communism so strong in Italy compared to other countries? The Soviet Union generally had prestige after the uh, role in defeating Nazism. Two and a quarter million people joined the Communist Party in Italy in the years following the Second World War. Four million people voted for it um, in 1946. Six million people, 23% of the electorate in 1953. This is the same idealism that we've mentioned with British Labour, but for some reason Italy, it, it, it was channeled to the Communist Party rather than a more moderate party. I've actually seen a sequence of membership cards of Communist Party of Italy from the late 1940s until the late 1980s, because they belonged to my wife's grandfather. 
He was in a household when we first visited there after we married. He joined the Communist Party. He was in a household. There were three people, he, his wife and his sister, uh, who helped care for his wife because he wasn't too well. And they were a microcosm of Italian politics. because he, he was in the Communist Party. She voted Christian Democrat, and he, his wife, and his sister voted for the Socialists. So there you had the fragmentation of Italian politics expressed in one house. And they were all fantastic people. And they loved each other. And they got on fine. They just had different political views. Um, and, but one of the interesting things I saw looking at uh, Francesco's Trapozzano's card was that the, the cards immediately post the Second World War, the membership cards, had huge hammers and sickles smashing through uh, in great confidence, a sense that communism was taking over the world. And by the 1980s and up in the years up until his death, they were, you, could, you could virtually not see a hammer and sickle. It was sort of cunningly disguised by pastel graphic designs and colours. It was a stylized, trendy-looking card. And this, this, I guess, reflected the changing views of communism as more and more became known about what actually happened in the Soviet Union. Women, like my wife's grandmother, were more likely to vote for the Christian Democrats. Men were more likely to vote for the communists, or more likely than women were, that is. This appears to be related... This, this was a pro-conservative gender gap. It existed in Italy and it's existed in many Western countries, including Australia, for a long time. It's related to traditional roles of women back in the 50s and 60s. It is undermined everywhere by the entry of women to the paid workforce. The more that women enter the paid workforce in all countries, the less likely they are to vote for conservative parties. There's now actually a pro left syndicate. Women are more likely to vote for Labor and the Greens now. Entry into the workforce, uh, the issues confronting female workers um, tends to radicalise them. And those include things we're going to hear a lot about in the budget in the, in the next week or so. Cost of childcare, the difficulties of balancing work and family life. Women do want to work, overwhelmingly, in the paid workforce. They don't want to just be mothers and housewives in, in the overall majority of cases and they want policies to support that. Women are also more likely to vote for peace rather than war. They oppose wars and they're less likely to support aggressive politicians. Male politicians who have an aggressive personal style have problems with female voters. And that's why Scott Morris is, is going to spend a lot of money in the budget on early childhood education. I'm sorry, I think that's the real reason. I don't think it's because it's become what we used to call in the 90s a snag, a sensitive new age guy. We'll see. Um, so, Southern Italians, um, conservatism, the gender gap, uh, the paradox of the fact that Although the Communist Party never entered national government in Italy, it did have a major role in regional government in the Emilia-Romana region in the north and was seen as being a very innovative government in supporting industry policy for high-valued industrial production in quality market niches. The Italian Communist Party was founded by a fellow called Antonio Gramsci uh, in the 1920s and he was a very different figure from Lenin and Stalin. He was an intellectual. Gramsci, the name you might have heard of, in, perhaps in philosophy or cultural studies, Gramsci was a thinker. And the Italian Communist Party was very open to ideas and intellectuals. 
uh, it encouraged ideas and thinking about how to solve problems. Gramsci created the idea of hegemony. He was trying to understand why that some of the poorest parts of Italy in the south voted for parties that weren't in their material economic interests and he, he, he explained it through the role of religion and his idea of hegemony, that religious ha- religion has subtle cultural ideological effects on people, um, is now increasingly used in understanding the role of the media and so on. Um, people are trying to understand why did, why did working class people in America vote for Trump? They talk about the hegemony of certain media outlets and so on. Gramsci's ideas are alive and well. But for America, no Communist Party, however, you know, Gramscian or intellectual it was, could be acceptable because communism was the global enemy. And, uh, quoting, I think, here from Jutt, um, Western leaders, if they had to make a hard choice between a fascist and a communist, they'd, pro- they'd in many cases choose the fascist. They wouldn't choose a fascist like Hitler, but they chose a fascist like General Franco in Spain, who was a contemporary of Hitler, who wasn't trying to colonise the rest of Europe, but they were happy for him to be in charge in Spain and keep it, keep it subjugated and not a threat to communism. The Communist Party began uh, declining in support from the late 1940s, and it wasn't just the American government, it was also the Vatican uh, that played a role in opposing communism. Because, of course, the Vatican state is, a, of course, it's a completely independent state, it's completely independent, but it just happens to be located in central Rome, it's the size of a, a golf course, um, it, it's a bit hard to escape its connections with Italy and with Italian politics. And the Italian popes, I, I, I don't know how many row were, in a row were Italian prior to John Paul II who broke the, the run of Italian popes. With, they elected the Polish pope uh, and then we had a German pope and now we've got a Latin American pope. So there's been three in a row not from Italy. But before that, there was a very long run, run of Italian popes and they were implicated in Italian politics. It's just a fact of life. They did influence Italian politics. The Vatican and the papacy. Um, and indeed, some would argue that the choice of John Paul II as a Polish pope was, was itself a, a, a shrewd move by anti-communist forces in the Catholic Church to extend the struggle against communism into Soviet bloc countries. Um, and he played a leading role with Ronald Reagan in helping bring down communism in Poland, supporting Lech Walesa, the leader of the uh, Solidarność movement in Poland. Pius XII was one conservative pope who worked with the U.S. Christian Democrats, sorry, the U.S. backed Christian Democrats. PCI, the Communist Party of Italy, had this Gramscian character, and it. Because it was competing in elections, it compromised, it put forward rational, detailed policies, it gained a fair bit of respectability. But in some ways it it actually looked a bit naive um, compared to the uh, hard politics, the real politic played by the US and the Christian Democrats. Communist parties were excluded from government the Prague coup in 1948, this is part of the Soviet Union consolidating its power in Eastern Europe. Uh, Social Democratic parties disavowed communism. The French Communist Party supported the Soviet Union. The Italian Communist Party went in a different direction. But even so, it began to lose some of that post 
Second World War euphoria as reflected in, in declining membership of a high base. The moderation of the Italian Communist Party continued. Togliatti was one of its post-Second World War leaders. Then came Berlinger, who in 1973 decided that his party was a democratic socialist or democratic party. It was competing uh, in elections and therefore it had to be moderate. And he put forward what was called the historic compromise, saying that he was ready to work with the Christian Democrats. That was in 1973. Now, 1973 was a rather important year in the global battles between communism and American foreign policy. An elected government in Chile, led by Salvador Allende, was forced out by a coup d'etat which was backed by Henry Kissinger and the US CIA. This convinced Berlinger and other Italian communist intellectuals that even if the communists won a parliamentary majority, they would not be allowed by the Americans or their allies in Italian military business and the church to form a government of their own. Six million votes, 6.7 million votes in 1958, nine million in 1972, so the membership had been declining but the votes had still been rising. Peaking in 1976, 12.6 million votes, 34.4% of the votes cut. So the Italian Communist Party in 1976 polled more votes than the ALP polled in, in Australia at our election a year or so ago. Uh, just short of the Christian Democrats, which couldn't form a majority in their own right, and therefore one option became whether there could be a grand coalition. And the Communist Party was making the right moderate sounds and noises uh, to be part of the government. Henry Kissinger publicly declared on April 13, 1976, in the lead-up to the elections, that the US would not welcome the Communist role in the government of Italy. Now, is that an appropriate thing for a US Secretary of State to be saying to Italian voters in the lead-up to their own national election. That's something we'll discuss in the seminar. Were America and Christian Democratic politicians in Italy justified in the actions they took against communism? Christian Democratic parties were not unique to Italy, but the Christian Democratic Party of Italy was a type of its own. Women's votes I've mentioned, and... Their support came from the South, including Calabria, despite the fact that on many objective assessments they weren't doing much to help the Calabrians. There's also the, the controversies over the Vatican role in World War II with Mussolini, and there's been a lot of criticism of Pope Pius XII for not supporting the Jews in World War II, not speaking out, as a religious leader should, about any religion that's been persecuted and marked for extinction. However, there's a debate over that. I mean, some think Pius XII was doing a lot behind the scenes, that if he had have spoken out, it just would have meant that Hitler would have marched into the Vatican, which wouldn't have achieved anything. Um, there is debate about that. Books are still being written about it. But certainly popes were telling people, and priests in the pulpit were telling people not to vote communists. And it wasn't only happening in Italy. In the 1950s in Australia, with the split over communism in the Labour Party in 1955, a breakaway party, anti-communist Labour Party, Democratic Labour Party it was called, overwhelmingly Catholic, although not all Catholics went to the DLP, not all Catholics in the ALP supported the anti-communist Labour Party. Uh, priests were saying don't vote Labour because they're soft on communism. 
families split on the issue. Some, some of those families are still having arguments now. If they talk to each other at all, extended families, Christmases can be very tense. Um, they still haven't forgotten or forgiven which side they went on in the great labour split of the mid-1950s. So church and state are not separate in Italy in the way they are in France. Then there was this fascinating event in these tense political times of the 1970s in Italy. I've mentioned Giulio Andriotti, the most prominent Christian democratic politician, seven times Prime Minister, but another important figure was Aldo Moro, who was twice Prime Minister, from 63 to 68, and then from 1974 to 1976. He was suddenly kidnapped by the Red Brigades in March 1978, and he eventually was killed in captivity. The Red Brigades were an extremist, rogue, Marxist, Leninist, Trotskyite group. Um, Jutz mentions that in his narrative, but he doesn't go into allegations that have emerged about whether Moro, Aldo Moro's more right-wing and more unsavoury rival in the Christian Democratic Party, Giulio Andriotti, might have been involved in that kidnapping, and also in the murder of a Rome journalist who perhaps knew too much about what really went on in Italian politics. Nor does Jutt mention that Aldo Moro at the time of his kidnapping was actually on the way to the Italian Parliament to seek a confidence motion for an Italian government which would share power for the first time with the Communist Party. So two years after the 76 election, to actually accept Berlinger's offer of a historic compromise to form a government involving for the first time both the major parties of Italy. Was it a coincidence that Moro was kidnapped on the way to the Parliament and therefore couldn't follow through on his political intentions? Tony Hewitt does acknowledge shadowy right-wing conspiratorial networks reaching up into the high ranks of the police, the banking community, the ruling Christian Democrats, being prepared to order murders of inconvenient journalists, judges and prosecutors a mysterious Masonic web of right-wing politicians, P2, from the Mussolini days, involving many military figures. Journalists. Which journalists are we talking about? This is explored by a Guardian article. Um, Philip Willan is the author, who wrote about the man who knew too much. Andriotti, a seven-time Prime Minister, obviously was later charged and convicted by an Italian court of ordering the murder of a journalist. Now that's like Scott Morrison, a few years' time, um, being charged with the murder of a journalist. That's pretty, that would be a pretty big thing. Morrison or Turnbull or Abbott or Gillard or Rudd, Whitman, Hawke. It's fairly unlikely any of them ordered the murder of a journalist. I mean, Turnbull was pretty critical of the ABC. Some people think he, he ended Emma Alberici's career by... Um, complaining about her reporting on company tax, but you know, no, no suggestion, no suggestion that there's been any attempt on her life. Um, no whatsoever. Um, the journalist murder was Mino Peccarelli. He's pictured here. Um, he was a muckraker. He was a journalistic gadfly. Uh, he knew a lot. And uh, he knew a lot about Andriotti, and he was prepared to use his knowledge... Uh, perhaps to gain favours or perhaps to try to blackmail. 
um, powerful people, which may be why he was found dead. Andriotti was charged. There were many, many, many suspicions for a long time. He was eventually charged. Peccarelli had been shot dead in his car. Not sure if it was that car, but that's him in a car. In Rome in 2000, sorry, 1979. And he had this information that he published in his muckraking papers. Was he going to publish something new in 1979? Did it possibly relate to the Aldo Moro kidnapping? Where did the information go? Uh, was he a naive investigative journalist who didn't realise the dangers of that profession? Were the mafia involved in killing him? Did he hold a document which could have been written by Aldo Moro during his time in captivity which revealed things about Giulio Andriotti? Many suspicions and speculation have occurred on this but not, not outright proof. And although Andriotti was convicted, his conviction was later overturned. So it's, it's a bit like, well, I don't know. There was enough to convince the jury, but then he was, he was overturned by a higher court. In, uh, was it on a procedural basis? Um, did we, uh, did, did our legal, well, it's not our legal system, it's the Italian legal system, but did the legal system perhaps um, say they couldn't prove he was guilty rather than he wasn't guilty. Whatever the final outcome of the court case, clearly there was a major cloud hanging over the long regime of the Christian Democratic Party and their rivals but also their partners in crime if you like, the Socialist Party, um, who were discredited and driven out of politics finally in the 1990s. Is there more to emerge on that? We certainly hope so. It, you know, and it, it is the sort of thing that we, you know, we like to watch on TV, a spy thriller, uh, a political thriller like House of Cards or Line of Duty um, Season 6 I'm watching on BritBox, Who is the Top Cop Who's Guilty? It'll be revealed on Thursday night. Can't wait for that. I, I hope we get the truth about Pecorelli and Andriotti. There might be more to come. One of the suggestions um, from Pecorelli himself was that um, the idea of the Christian Democrats forming a grand coalition under Moro and uh, Berlinga with the, with the Communist Party um, challenged the whole global dichotomy of the Cold War. Not only did it challenge America, but it also challenged Moscow because it didn't make sense for communists and non-communists to work together. Were there bigger forces at work? Or is that just a conspiracy theory? There's lots of conspiracy theories around. Some of them have a basis, in fact, that they can get multiplied. John F. Kennedy's assassination in 1963 has spawned many conspiracy theories. I actually think there was some conspiracy there, but I don't think he was kidnapped by Martians. Um, and the Grassy Knoll um, is a part of Dallas, Texas, where there's a Pruder film, the best footage of the Kennedy's assassination, shows a sh very, very much looks like a shot is coming from the front and hits him in the front and his head goes backwards, which is consistent with a shot from the grassy knoll by a high-powered gun, not a shot from the book depository behind with a much less powerful gun. There's all the ballistic evidence. There's, there's reputable books being written. The Kennedy assassination was not necessarily a lone gunman. wasn't Lee Harvey Oswald, but then that can be mutated into all sorts of silly conspiracy theories. 
and the term conspiracy theories, even the term the grassy knoll is used like the shorthand for a nut job. Well, I'm not a nut job, but I think the, the Kendrick's explanation has not been officially explained. I have some questions to ask um, about Moro, Andriotti and Pecorelli. Um, and it's not as either or simple official explanation or mad conspiracy theory. There might be somewhere in between. Follow the evidence. That's what we should always do. But Andriotti's conviction was greeted with revulsion by public opinion and it sta- stamped an indelible mark of infamy on an entire political era. era as, uh, as indicated here in Philip Wallan's article. Now, the cosy relationship was being exposed as corrupt. The young magistrates were chipping away at the silence. Ironically, the first direct political casualty was not the Christian Democrats but the Socialist Party. Bribery things were exposed in 1992 in in, in Milan and Bettino Craxi fled across the Mediterranean into exile in Tunisia. But uh, very similar things were were, uh, alleged and with, with strong evidence against the Christian Democrats. Many arrests followed, including Andriotti for the murder, and it took down the whole shape of Italian politics. In 1994, all the leading parties, that is the Christian Democrats and the Socialists particularly, and all the other parties except the former communists and except the former fascists, were virtually wiped out. And yes, here was a time, one thought, for renewal, here was a time when someone like Giovanni Falcone, who we'll see more about shortly, some honest statesperson like figure might rise above the mess to reform Italy and uh, get rid of the mafia once and for all. What did we see instead? We saw Silvio Berlusconi. There's a name you might be young enough to remember, many of you, and it's not associated with uh, integrity or good moral behaviour. Um, Silvio Berlusconi was a billionaire media tycoon who set up a a party called Forza Italia um, a bit like a soccer team style slogan who used his personal profile his media power and personality and so on to become the new Prime Minister of Italy he now in fact has been its longest serving Prime Minister of all and yet right from the start There were major problems with his style of governance, including the fact that he tried to prevent the judiciary investigating his economic and personal affairs. Um, Not enough separation between politics, the media and the judiciary in Italy. Um, The other strange thing is, Italy has gone from having the strongest left-wing party electorally, or the strongest most left-wing party electorally, to having no left-wing party at all. The Communist Party is gone now. Uh, There's a Democratic Party with some former Communists. It's slightly left of centre, but it's not clearly a left of centre party. There's no Labour Party. There's no Socialist Party. Um, And and Italian politics has not been cleaned up to the extent that it could have been if a different course of history had been followed here. And the difference between the North and the South persists. And this is a tragedy because very few people are in the Mafia, as a proportion. The overwhelming majority of Italian people, like people everywhere, are honest, hard-working people. Those who joined the Euro-Communist Party 
hoped to build a better world after World War II. Many of them had to work for many years overseas to send money home to their families so their families could survive. Many of their children emigrated, including to America and Australia, for a chance at a better, more prosperous life. And unlike, uh, unfortunately, uh, Italians, particularly Calabrians and Sicilians, are unfairly tainted by the actions of very few who are involved in the Mafia, many of whom continue to resist the Mafia, as Giovanni Falcone did, even though it cost him his life, and have been let down by the opportunism and corruption of politicians like Andriotti and Berlusconi. Although the violence of the uh, Mafia reached its peak in the early 90s, Shorty Rena is still in a Sicilian jail, and he will never get out, I don't think. Um, Although that violence has, has receded, the Mafia still has enough influence to prevent economic progress in the poor southern regions of Italy. The EU cannot give money, as it wants to give, to the poor regions in Calabria for investments like hotel resorts to take advantage of the beautiful scenery there, or wind power turbine investments because there's always the corrupt forces trying to get their cut. When I was last in Italy with the family, um, we saw... As we travelled from the north to the south, we, we, we stopped travelling on duplicated tracks. We went on to single tracks. We, we read in the newspaper there was another death from a train collision in, near Puglia, in southern Italy, in 2016. It's more dangerous to live in the south. It's, it's poorer. And the idea that Italians, Greeks and other post-war southern European migrants are lazy is completely disproven by anyone who's seen um, their contribution to Australian society and those of their children and grandchildren. It seems to me a great tragedy that Italy could not have had more influence in policy terms by the kind of thoughtful democratic Euro-communist ideas of the Communist Party of Italy inherited by Gramsci because the Christian Democrats, the America and the Vatican were too blindly paranoid to see that they were different from undemocratic Soviet communism. Those people might have had some smart answers like they had in the regions, Bologna, Emilio, Romagna, to contribute with Aldo Moro and others, small L liberals, if you like, small C Christian Democrats, and, and made Italy, Italy a better place. Now, Brexit has been a much more publicised issue uh, for Europe and a test for the EU in recent years, but as this article in Forbes shows, arguably... Italy could be an even bigger problem for the EU. One of the complaints I heard from visiting EU politicians a year or two ago was that they wanted Brexit to be finalised because they could never get to talk about some more pressing matters at EU meetings like Italy's economic situation and what to do about it because of bloody Brexit and Boris Johnson and Theresa May and Britain wanting to be out, but wanting to be out on its terms and nothing was good enough and all that sort of thing. Well, this, I'm, I am going to unfortunately finish on a somewhat optim, uh, sorry, pessimistic, I, I consider myself an optimist. I have, you might notice I'm wearing you know, a fairly fancy linen, Italian linen jacket today as a gesture to, uh, you can't, the cloud students can't see this, but um, you're not missing much really. Uh, it's a linen jacket and um, linen shirt and um, Perkist in Italy, last visit, supporting the high-end fashion niche. Hope it makes a contribution. Hope some people in the south get some benefit from. 
Unfortunately, Italy's position is precarious. Just like the leaning tower of Pisa, that's about the only time that an architectural stuff-up has led into a, a, a centuries-lasting global tourist attraction. Like the city of Venice, which tragically, despite its grand history as a trading post between east and west, is sinking beneath its own waters. And there is further instability in, in Italy again now. There's a fairly recent article from early this year about the latest attempts in Italy to try to get rational policies imposed by the parliament and the difficulty of doing that with the unstable political spectrum there with their various new parties, the Five Star Movement and so on. The article is there at the link. I will close off here. Sorry, I've gone slightly over to quite a bit over time actually. Um, carried away. Um, and I will say it again, I, I did a focus group test on this last night with the seminar students. I said, are my corny sign-offs like au revoir last week from Geelong annoying you? And they said, no, no, we can't get enough of them. So I'll say arrivederci to the cloud students. Ciao, ciao, bellas, ciao. And um, I'll turn off the microphone. Dominic, um, Shane's not here this week. Uh, we missed your, your, your reference and your evidence about the importance of work in identity. Um, perhaps more so masculine identity when we talk about clank and work life balance. Um, I'll end the recording, sorry. You have to, they ask you about five.